Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Yep, you know where you are. It's that time again. It's time to take things to the next level. Time to get off the couch and get to work and make some cash flow. And man, this week, I'm going to blow you guys away with some facts and figures based on a request that came in uh, through our email. As I told you guys before, if you've got show ideas, you got things, the questions you want to get answered, maybe you don't want to get on the phone or the time, whatever it is, and you want to drop that by email, if, if it's a topic that I get a lot of questions about, I will turn that into an episode. So how you go about doing that is you go to info, you email info at cashflowguys.com, info at cashflowguys.com, or go on the website, cashflowguys.com, and you can message us uh, through the website at cashflowguys.com. Please be specific in your questions. I want to make sure that I answer them and I don't want to be guessing, right? I don't want to have to figure, plan on what you're thinking. I kind of want to know by reading it. So make sure that you're specific. And I got a great question that we're going to use this week. So let's get started, shall we? So this message comes in from Neil. Neil says, I cannot get enough of real estate. However, since hearing the podcast on how you turned your fourplex into short-term rentals, it has me thinking hard. I damn sure should. We make a lot of money off of that. I got, it keeps me thinking hard. I can tell you that. So he says, I got into real estate four, almost five years ago. My first property was a single family two-bedroom, one-bath that's done relatively well. That's cool. He also says that I went and then bought a fourplex, a two-bedroom, one-bath that has done even better. Good. That means you're learning. That means you're you're correcting the things and you're getting better at adding value. When your rental performs better, that means that you're getting better at adding value. You're getting better at the tenant experience. So outstanding. Well done. Then he says, I inherited another single-family three-bedroom, two-bath when my sister passed. It's a future rental as I put my mom in there for now for rent-free. That's pretty cool, dude. I, that, that Well done. Always take care of your mom. Then he says, uh, I then purchased another single family that I flipped and used that money to buy a brand new two-bedroom, two-bath duplex. Brand new. That's interesting. Is it? I hope you mean brand new as in new to you and you didn't do new construction unless you got some ridiculous price because it's been my experience that it's tough to get uh, new construction done and cash flow effectively. That's just been my experience. But I'd be curious to know uh, how you did on that one. Anyway. He goes on to say, I'm currently in contract to purchase another two-bedroom, one-bath, fourplex, the beginning of next month. Neil, dude, two thumbs up, man. You're out there killing it. I love it. Meanwhile, everybody else is deciding whether or not they can pay the, the free plus shipping to get Dotcom Secrets book. I think it's $6.95. I don't have time to read a book. I wouldn't know what to do with the leads if I had them. I'd much rather listen to the podcast than Bigger Pockets and do absolutely nothing and then bitch because I'm poor. Anyway, I digress. He goes on to say, I was wondering if you could share with me how to go about turning some of the units into STR, which stands for short terminal, as they become vacant. I love this guy. You know why I love this guy? Because he doesn't say Airbnb. <laughs> I think that's awesome. First of all, he takes action, so I love him for that alone. But second, he doesn't refer to them as Airbnbs, which is is a good thing, okay? Because Airbnb, let's start right there. Airbnb is a marketing channel. It's not a investor identity. Short term rental, on the other hand, is the proper term. And if you, and this goes along with your mindset, right? Short-term rental, if you ever decide to get into the short-term rental business, understand that in, in the business space, Airbnb is a bad word because people get negative connotations. When you say Airbnb, they think teenagers throwing parties in my units and smoking dope. I'll tell you stories about that later. But that's what people think when you use the words Airbnb. I mean, no disrespect to Airbnb. However, they have, their name has been become synonymous with trouble and uh and the 
you know, neighborhoods and things revolting against Airbnb. So start using the term short-term rental, guys, if you're going to get into this space. I think you're going to fare much better. So he goes on to say, I'm a go-getter. That's obvious. <laughs> I listen and fail often, but I fail forward. See, I love that. Guy's out there doing it, knows he's probably going to screw it up, but does it anyway. See, that's really the only re- way and the reason that we became successful, Jill and I, in real estate is because we just got good at making mistakes. And then the more we made the mistakes, the more we learned. And we crafted that into a nice, tidy little portfolio that allowed us to escape the rat race, retire in our 40s, and travel the country full-time in an RV. And by the way, guys, I'm literally sitting in the front seat of the RV right now recording this podcast. I've got my office set up in the passenger side. I got my 27-inch MacBook sitting on the dashboard it's cool. They got a built-in desk. This is a really nice class A, cherry cat and all that, but it's got a built-in desk. So I just set my computer on the dashboard and off we go. And here we are. So I get a view. So if I get distracted during this episode, it's probably because I'm seeing a squirrel or something, a real squirrel, not just another shiny object, but an actual one. I digress. Maybe a robin will fly by or a cardinal or something. Who knows? Anyway, lucky for you, I got the, the curtains drawn during this episode. So here we go. First of all, I want to say that this is not going to be a class necessarily on short-term rentals. Okay, so don't, I'm not gonna. I, I cannot cover all you need to know about short-term rentals in one, or in my opinion, probably 20 episodes. I know a lot about short-term rentals because, well, I've done a lot of. I, I own several of them now, and uh, I've learned a lot. Of, I've learned a lot from making mistakes. Had a, had a lot of things go well, and a couple things go wrong, and. We'll probably start talking about that in some future episodes. I've got some folks that I truly feel are experts in the short-term rental space, and I plan to have them as guests coming in the future. When that will be, I don't know. Uh, one of them, love this guy to death. He's actually a former student of mine who got into short-term rental and just took charge of it and kicks ass with it. I'm really, really proud of him, and I'd love to have him on the show I've been trying to tell him that he needs to get into coaching. He needs to be – there's only a few people out there that do coaching for short-term rentals. And he's the kind of guy that would do it really well. And it wouldn't be that $100,000, I'm going to make you rich overnight type coaching. He's a good dude. He's a solid dude. He would really help folks get financially free. Because when you talk about low-hanging fruit, this can be low-hanging fruit with a few caveats. But let's go ahead and talk about my reflections on the considerations, what Jill and I thought about when we were doing the short-term rental when we first got started. So out of the gate, I want to tell you that the reason why we started in short-term rentals, honestly, was to solve a problem. That's where it all began. And how, what I mean by that is the tenant that we had in, in one of our apartments, so in that fourplex that you've heard me talk about before, the one that's the short-term rental, everything else we have is long-term. But uh, this fourplex is in the right spot. It's the right type of property for a short-term, and that's why it's a short-term. So as it stands today, we have three out of four units converted to short-term. The fourth one is being converted here in the next uh, couple months. But let me go ahead and talk about what the problem we were solving. We had a tenant that was a long-term tenant, so we inherited him with the property. Actually, everybody else ran away when we bought it. Thank goodness. Saved me having to evict them for being dirtbags. But when we bought the place, this guy came with the building. Nice guy in his probably late 50s, and he was a truck driver from, I want to say Connecticut or Vermont or something like that, New England. And he drove truck through the spring and summer and fall. And then in the winter, he came down to Florida. So when it was snowing up there in New England, he would come down here. He would not work and he would come down here. 
instead of driving through the snow and hang out for three months. That was his thing. So usually January, February, March, uh, sometimes he would do in April, but that's, that's when he came down here. And, and what it came, what it came to is he changed jobs a couple of times and he had some challenges maintaining two households on a truck driver salary. I get it. I was a truck driver. It's not easy. Um, and he's, he's him and his girlfriend and whatnot. And she was on a disability. So they, they liked coming to Florida. They were, you know, they spent a lot of time biking and doing all kinds of fun stuff. And that's great. Not an extravagant guy. Very simple dude. But, um, he was paying when he moved in, he was paying $700 a month rent. Okay. And he was having a challenge keeping up with that 700 after about the second year. So at that point, he came to me and said, you know, he asked for a rent reduction, which you guys knowing me, you're probably thinking, I might imagine how that must have went. I did not laugh in his face, in case you're wondering. I, <laughs> I didn't. I thought about it, but I didn't. I, uh, <laughs> I, wanted to, I don't think I even had the podcast back then, so I don't remember exactly what my response was. But it was along the lines of, you know, I can't do that, but let's put our heads together and see if we can solve a problem. Because that's in real life, that's what I like to do is I'm always focused on how can we make this work so everybody wins, right? When I negotiate, I don't put people in a headlock and beat them up, you know, trying to take everything from them. Instead, I like to see if I can find a solution. So in this case, we sat down and basically did math. Okay. He's paying 700 bucks a month times 12 months. So for him, that meant $8,400 a year. That's what he's shelling out. And he cannot afford $8,400 a year. So I said to him, I said, what in, especially since he's not here for the full year. So he first asked me, he said, can I just pay for when I'm down here using it? And I said, well, it's, I don't know how that would work considering how somebody he goes well you can let somebody else rent this place while i'm up north i'm like well first of all it sounds like a lot of hassle for me trying to get somebody to rent it for nine months and then go away and right when you know please stay here for the hottest part of the year and when it's gorgeous here then go away so my other guy can come i couldn't see the logistics of that working out plus i'm gonna say he had it decorated um i'm gonna call it a la bachelor in other words you know jill would walk in there and just kind of shake her head and try not to look up because it smelled like old spice and, you know, it was decade decorated like 1970. And that's, I can't see myself putting that on a booking channel, VRBO or, or home away or Verbo as they call themselves now, or Airbnb or one of those. I just didn't see it as very appealing. So I figured that renting it that way would be kind of a challenge. So I said to him, let me do a little thinking about this and get back to you. And for that, it came down to, okay, how much would it cost me to convert this to a proper short-term rental and then allow him to live there? Okay. One of the things I thought about is, and I realized that this actual, this answer, part of this answer doesn't necessarily apply to you, Neil, but it may come up depending on your tenants. Who knows? The first thing I asked myself is, well, how do I, what's it going to cost for me to convert it over? And what I found out was I did some math and, and what I needed to do was when we bought the fourplex, all three out of four units, we had the cabinets refaced. Okay. We had new faces and new countertops put on them instead of replacing the cabinets, because at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with the bases. So we had them shot um, with like a epoxy paint type of thing, had the countertops redone and, and did a real nice job. And this is the only part we didn't have that. So instead of doing a full reno on the, on the um, kitchen, I opted just to have the cabinets sprayed and the door pulls and drawer pulls uh, replaced. And Jill actually did the door pulls and all that. So I used a vendor that uh, Larry Harbolt uses when he renovates houses. And I called old Gary Dietz out there, and I think it was about 700 bucks. Gary reshot the kitchen cabinets from, uh, I would call it a 1980s building. It was built in 1982, so a 1982 wood grain, if you can 
picture of what that looks like. Um, had them shot from that to like more of a chocolate brown, a dark chocolate brown, and then put uh, some brushed nickel on there and whatnot. So now we're in it for about 750 bucks, right? Had the bathroom uh, tub and tile. At first, we didn't have an epoxy. We just had the tub done, and then later we did the surround. But let's say we did, I think we spent about 1500 bucks on that. And the rest was furniture. Now, in our, our area, we have a hotel liquidation store nearby. We've actually, they've actually got three or four locations in Tampa Bay area. And by doing a little bit of research, I found them. And long story short, I figured out what they do is they buy furniture from hotels that are changing their furniture or go out of business or whatever. So I'm not going to say it's the most comfortable furniture in the world. I mean, you're not dealing with uh, Thomasville or Broyhill, but it looked decent for, for what we were trying to accomplish. And as a trial and error, I didn't want to spend the national deficit on doing this apartment up. Um, and then find out the whole concept didn't work, right? So I was very budget conscious. So I decided that uh, total budget for the renovations would be about six grand. And that included furnishings, right? So I did the, the kitchen and bath, a little bit of, you know, sprucing. Some of you might call it lipstick on a pig, whatever. You get it to make decent photographs. Took everything the guy owned in the house and made him throw it away. I mean, literally everything. Yeah, everything. The stuff that he was in love with, he had to take to his friend's house around the corner. And let them hang on to it because I didn't want it in there. I mean, wicker, come on, guys. I mean, we're not in Tahiti. You don't wicker. That's very 1970s. Anyway, all that stuff went away. Um, that made Jill really happy. And then I turned Jill loose on making it pretty. And what she did is she's conservative by nature. It's how she was raised. Thank God. That's probably why we escaped the rat race because she does a great job of keeping us out of debt and financially free. So she went and did her work and the bill total bill came in furnishings the whole nine yards it was probably right around 5500 somewhere in there but it was not over six grand that included the renovations and yes that's possible if you're a responsible and you're not rebuilding the place keeping in mind for a short-term rental it's about things working and looking good it doesn't mean you need granite countertops because the tenant that's there for three days is not going to appreciate the granite countertops except to set their beer on it Outside of that, if it looks like granite and it's not granite, great. It's about providing them a certain experience, okay? That's the key. That's the thing you have to think about when you're doing these renovations. Again, I'm not going to turn this into a short-term rental class, but that's what we had in mind is providing a certain product to attract a certain tenant. And what I've learned over time, and I've been doing this now for several years with the short-term rentals, is that you have to come up with an avatar of who you're going to serve. In other words, if you're going to serve the business traveler, you should set it up to be conducive to business travelers. So if your place is near an airport or something like that, you would set it up accordingly. If it's in a more of a vacationing type place, then you should have things like beer coolers and, and stuff like that laying around to for people to go to the beach and maybe some swim noodles and a pair of bikes or something like that. So when you're doing these renovations and you're thinking about the budgeting piece of it, keep that in mind. Who are you serving? And it's not anybody who will pay the most money. If that's your answer, you're not in the right spot. You are competing against hotels that have huge unlimited budgets that spend a lot of time and effort focusing on who they serve, okay? And the ones that are successful are very good at that. So for you to effectively compete against them, you're going to have to provide a better product or provide it at a cheaper price. I don't like the cheaper price thing. I'd rather go with the better product. That's just me. Because if I got a discount at cheap, I mean, I could do my places for 50 bucks a night. And I would be slam full 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop. But I would also attract a certain amount of certain type of tenant. 
So think about that. A $65 night hotel room is pretty darn cheap and usually comes with bullet holes and a chalk line. So if you're going to provide that type of product as a short terminal operator, that's like doing low income housing. You're going to expect problems, right? You're going to expect a high degree of uh, cancellations, probably uh, parties, damage, things like that. So think about location first. Okay. And I will say this, guys, you don't have to go buy a place. You can also, you can rent somebody else's, do it on a master lease, get, make sure it's in writing that you have permission to sublet it to somebody else and do the, do the minor improvements. Now for you, and I want to digress here too far, but if you're going to go get a place, don't ever, 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 I'm going to say this again at the end to back this up, but don't ever buy a place and use the numbers from a short-term rental to justify the purchase. If the property does not cash flow as a long-term rental, then don't buy it because it's not, it's very possible. I don't care what current laws and regulations say it's highly likely in the future that maybe somebody may decide to some government agency may outlaw short-term rentals in your market on your street, the color of your house, maybe the wrong color for a short-term rental, whatever it may be. Don't go all in uh, with a permanency in mind. Okay. So don't go out and spend $200,000 on a two bedroom, one bath house because you're going to short-term rental it. Well, I hate to tell you, if a short, if a if a two bedroom one bath house in your market rents for nine fifty, you shouldn't be buying buying it for two hundred grand because you will lose your shorts. I don't care if it's short term if it's good as a short term rental, because the one thing I can tell you about short term rental is there's not a lot of data out there to that goes back over any amount of time to look at to make hundred percent solid decisions. See, with multifamily, I can track apartment trends. For the last 30, 40 years, I've got relevant data sources that are credible that I can go back in time and see what's happened. I have personally invested my way through more than one market cycle and market correction. Therefore, when I buy, I buy extremely conservatively. I do that because I want to make sure that I stress test all of my deals so they can last through a market downturn. When the market crashes, it doesn't affect Tyler at all. In other words, I actually make more money during a crash because I'm a provider of high quality rental experience for a reasonable price. And therefore I can survive economic downturns. I don't even skip a beat. And like I said, I can make more money. So that said, so let's do some math. Originally he was paying $700 a month for 12 months. So 8,400 bucks. Okay. A year. Uh, what I did is I said, well, what if, what if you, if I reduced the rent and you had, you paid less but I got to rent the place. I'll renovate the place. So I'll do all the renovations for you, which basically means you got to throw away all your crap. And once you get rid of the Winnie, Winnie the Pooh bear and all the other garbage that you collect in the lava lamp and all that good stuff, you can throw that to the garbage or go put it in storage. I don't care, but just get out of here. I will renovate it the way we want it renovated, which will be really, really nice. Far better than what you have now. And what if I could reduce the rent less? He said, how about 300 a month? I said, well, I'm doing a whole bunch of renovation that you get to enjoy. I said, how about 500? He said, and I said, understand that 500 is saving you over $2,400 a year. He was like, whoa. I'm like, yeah, a lot of money. So how about that? He says, deal, done. So what I did is I did a three-month lease. I did an annual lease with him that had a provision written in of the months he could occupy from January 1st. January, February, March, I think the first one we did was like April. Um, anyway, so that's what we did. We structured that lease. It was an annual lease that gave him specific days of tenancy or months of tenancy. 
So he was allowed to occupy between those months. And because he doesn't have a lot of cash, he needed monthly payments. I charged him $500 a month rent. So he got reduced rent at $500 a month rent. Now, here's the real math. Right out of the gate, we were able to make $2,500 a month rent for nine months. Okay, Obviously, we couldn't make that 2500 when he lived there. But when he was not there, just starting out, we were making around 2500 average per month. Mind you, he's paying us 500 alone plus the 2500 we were getting from short-term rentals. So that takes that unit to three grand a month versus the old 700. Was it worth me doing the renovations? I'd say yippee-skippy because that adds up to, for nine months, guys, 22500 bucks. So I took in 22500 bucks in that first year just from the additional rents. That doesn't include the 6000 I got from him. So I ask you this question. Was it worth me giving up $2,400 in rent? Because I know when I said I, when I told people I discounted the rent to $500, they are like, oh, my God, have you lost your mind? Was it worth me giving up $2,400 a year in rent from the tenant and then having to go spend $6,000 in cash so in case you're not paying attention, that's $8,400 investment. Is it worth me making that $8,400 investment for a $28,500 first year income? Is it worth doing that? And for the record, that's a return of over 300%, guys. So I would say hell to the yeah, that's worth it, okay? So now you're all now I have your attention. You guys are probably all thinking, well, how the hell do we do that, Tyler? That's where I come in with, but wait, there's more. If you act now, now seriously, you got to look at the analytics, guys. You got to look at, look at, go out and look for relevant data sources that you can look in your market. And I'm here to tell you, if you're in Atlanta, let's say, and you're looking at a property across town that's on Airbnb that happens to be overlooking the skyline, and your apartment is a two bedroom, one bath overlooking a, a junkyard, it's not going to yield the same. Result. So you have to, this is, boy, when it comes to comparables, you wholesalers out there especially, y'all suck at doing comparables, I got to tell you. you. Realtors and wholesalers, you guys are killing me. You guys got to start thinking like appraisers. I'm not going to get down go down that rabbit hole. But here's the thing. You, can, you must only use comparable properties when you're looking at these short-term rentals that are very similar to yours. And I'm not talking about colors of the blankets and all that stuff. I'm talking about location amenities. Okay, if you're in San Diego, are you which side of the hill are you on? You know, are you in Point Loma versus uh, Coronado? These things matter. Don't just say, "Well, I found one in San Diego that was getting three fifty a night, so I should get three fifty a night." What part of San Diego are you in? I probably shouldn't use San Diego. So I think that they've made it illegal there in San Diego. But anyway, that's the first step: is really getting a good idea of if you already own the property, does it make sense as a short-term rental based on marketing or market only? Is there a draw? Are there other people there doing it? And the way to find that is is to go on sources like Verbo, which is VRBO, or HomeAway, or FlipKey, or, or Airbnb, or any one of those, and doing some preliminary research. Dig deep. Try to find a place similar to where you are, or similar to what you have, where you are. Okay? Reach out to these people. Talk to them. See if there's a meetup in your area. Find out who the players are, who's doing it. One of the things you could do is maybe get a list of people that have a occupancy license or a uh, hotel license, hospitality license in your area. Okay. If they're doing it right, at least in Florida, you're supposed to have a hospitality license 
hotel owner's license, which I have a, a license. I'm a licensed operator. Okay, that keeps me out of hot water. That says that I'm paying my taxes because I have to pay 13% of every dollar. 13 cents of every dollar, 13% bed tax goes to the state on every dollar we make. Yes, we make fantastic money, but we have to pay 13% taxes to the state for the privilege of doing a short-term rental right off the top. Okay, that's uh, That can add up to a lot of money, so you have to be cognizant of that. Okay, I know you guys sometimes turn to cut corners. You do your due diligence. That's something you want to cut corners on. And do not get a new situation where you do not pay your lodging taxes. If they catch you, bad things will happen. You will wind up in jail. It's not pretty. The good news is if you use websites like VRBO and Airbnb, those two specifically will pay your taxes for you, which means they're adding it to the rate and whatnot, so your taxes will be squared away. But if you take a direct rental, you're going to need to file your own taxes. So check with your local municipality and see if you need to have a hotelier's license or a hospitality license. Okay, so check into that. The cost is usually manageable. I think my license was, I don't know, it was cheap. I want to say it was under 100 bucks. I didn't even notice. I don't even remember how much it was, so it couldn't have been much. So that said, uh, look at that. Use, there's a website out there called AirDNA. Okay, it's AirDNA, not B&B, AirDNA, like David November Alpha. AirDNA is a resource to garner market conditions, okay? Go on Airbnb, VRBO, or Verbo. Look at the rates of what other people are charging very, very close to you. And if you look at the maps, you can get a general idea of where these properties are. You should know your own market well enough to know if a neighborhood that a rental's in is similar to yours. Don't embellish here, folks. You're going to cut yourself short if you're embellished here. So be honest with yourself. Does my house look as nice as Susie's house? Am I willing to decorate my house as nice as Susie has hers done? And if the answer is I'm not sure, then you go out and hire a designer for the cost is negligible compared to the event, the difference in occupancy, okay? Places that are not professionally, they don't have a professional designer or someone that really has a skill and knack for decorating can have a huge swing in occupancy, okay? And that's another thing. The difference between short-term rental and long-term is in the long-term space, we always say vacancy, we're concerned about vacancy, vacancy, vacancy. Uh, when you get into the hospitality side of things, which is a short-term rental, it changes to occupancy, not vacancy, which is the opposite, right? So when you hear people say, well, I've got uh, 80% occupancy this month, that means they've had 20% vacancy. So the numbers, what is a good number in your market? Because I know some of you are thinking, well, Tyler, that's great. What should I expect? I don't know that question. answer that question because I don't know your market, okay? It's very, very market-driven, even in my market in the Tampa Bay area, you really can't say I've got We got friends that have them down in Clearwater and they hover around like 90% occupancy year round in one bedrooms. And normally I would never even consider owning a one bedroom or even controlling one for a short term rental. But in that certain corridor, they do very, very well. One bedrooms do very, very well because of the type of client that goes there. So guys, this is where you got to roll up your sleeves and do your due diligence and do your homework and make sure you clearly understand what's going on in the space, which means you got the focus, okay? Um, I like to figure for conservative math, and you know me well enough to know I'm very conservative when it comes to math. When I do my math, I figure 60% occupancy, which means I'm assuming that 60% of the month, the place should be occupied. So let's do that math. If it's not, and keep in mind, if it's occupied more, great. 
it's occupied less, well, we get ourselves a problem, don't we? So let's say we're getting a hundred dollars a night. Okay. And we're going to figure 30 days in a month. Okay. So we do a hundred times 30, that's $3,000. And then we're going to multiply that by 60%. That leaves us $1,800. So that $1,800 figure, I want to make sure that figure covers all my expenses and then put some money in my pocket. If it doesn't, then I'm, I'm not going to do the deal. You should be the same way. So that means if you've only, if you've got $1,800, um, expected gross revenue of that $1,800, you have to pay your cleaners, which will cost you anywhere from 50 to $125 per reservation. You have to pay your taxes and depending on what they are would really depend on what market you're in. In my market, 13% of the gross is what I'm going to pay in taxes. So that's going to come off the top. So right there, that's almost 200 bucks. I have to have money left to pay the rent or the mortgage. If you're master leasing it, then the rent, if you if you own it, then the mortgage. You know, I have to think about all these things. And here's the most important thing. You better set yourself aside a bigger monthly profit than you would on a short-term or a long-term rental. I know a lot of guys that are unfortunately doing long-term rentals and they're making 200 bucks a month cash flow. And they think they're setting the world on fire. I'm here to tell you guys, you're one water heater away from disaster if you've only got $200 a month in cash flow. Now, if you're some guy that's got a thousand doors and you own them all yourself, I guess that's all fine and dandy. But when you've got a smaller portfolio, you got to be thinking bigger numbers, which means you got to buy better. And more importantly, you got to finance better. It's no different with short-term rentals. Okay. Um, cleaning companies interview several of them. And you're going to have to ask them, how much would you charge for a two-bedroom, one-bath? Or in this case, it's a fourplex he's doing. He's doing two-bedroom, four-bath. Have them walk out, have them go see the property. How much would you charge me to clean these? I would look more at a cleaning service than a cleaning person. Here's why. Cleaning person or people get sick. They can't make it. Well, the the short-term rental guest is not going to care that your, your mate is sick. Their expectation is they rented a place that should be turnkey. And by the way, they're paying a cleaning fee. So unless you're going to clean it yourself, which I absolutely will not do, then you better damn sure make sure you've got backup plan for a backup plan for a backup plan. The best way to do that is to have a service. Okay. If you have a service, then they have several cleaning people. So if one gets sick, decides they don't want to work that day, whatever the deal is, baby mama drama, whatever it may be that they get over there and they get somebody over there to take care of that situation. Because sometimes if somebody checks out at 11 o'clock guys, you're going to have that place cleaned and turned around ready to go by no later than 4 o'clock if that's your check-in time. That's not a lot of margin for error. Um, and imagine you got more of one you, and you're trying to do it yourself. That's a heck of a lot of cleaning to do in a very short period of time. So keep that in mind. Um, make sure that you've got a good handyman on site. Uh, we just had a situation where the, the shelves in the closet fell down literally this morning. And I got a great handyman. I was able to call him and say, hey, dude. Can you go over and fix that when they leave on Wednesday? He's like, no problem. He'll take care of it. Send me the bill. This is not a place to be a tight ass, boys and girls. When it comes to your team, they're make or breakage, with, especially with short-term rental, because you have a very tight window in which to correct problems. You're going to have problems. Things are going to break. Stuff's going to get destroyed. That's life. If you're not okay with that, don't invest in short-term rentals. Okay? I see a bunch of people crying and complaining about, well, they had three guests versus two, and I should be entitled to an extra $10. Guys, Stepping over dollars to pick up nickels. Stop being petty. 
provide a great service, take your profit and run with it. I will caution you with this. It can be, especially starting out, an amazing amount of work. Okay, It is, can be a lot of work until you start putting systems in place. We just recently changed messaging systems, and Jill has spent several days and deeply in, 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 ingrained in getting the messaging system operational and up and running so that we don't have to be responding to every message and every email. So keep these things in mind, guys. They are not a get-rich-quick. Um, you will have to invest a, a great deal of time getting them up and running until they're firing on all cylinders. But I'm here to tell you, once they're up and running, well, life is grand. Uh, you know, when you got a four-unit building that's making $12,000 a month gross, with $3,000 a month maximum expenses, it's nine grand a month, boys and girls, net, 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 9000 a month, net, net, net. Not a bad little deal, is it? It's a heck of a lot of money. You don't need no 1,000-unit portfolio you can impress your friends with when you got a couple of those in your belt. Now, do you? You could do real well because here's the thing, guys. You can't spend unit count. You can spend dollars. So keep that in mind. You could get one little duplex and escape the rat race if you do it right, if you stay on top of it. So think about that, but you don't have to go out, guys. Lastly, before I wrap up, you guys, you don't have to go out and buy the property. You can uh, master lease it. Basically, what that means is you will enter into a lease. The landlord knows what you're doing. You're going to release it to somebody else. They give you written permission in writing. There's copies out there on the Internet of leases. Get with a real estate attorney. Have them draft one for you, something like that, that you can get rolling with and uh, make it happen. Dig in, do your homework. And of course, even though you have the short-term rentals, you can't rely only on the booking agencies to get those rentals in there. You're going to have to learn how to be a marketer. Yes, guys, you're going to have to learn how to be a marketer. It all starts with the, the books I talked about in the previous episode. Don't forget about it. Take action now. Catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.